This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 507 for March 10th, 2016. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, your host and a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me again this week is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Welcome back, Susie. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> okay, How are the wilds of Boston? Thanks for covering for me. You bet. Uh, yeah, Boston was nice. It was very rainy, which is weird for us West Coasters. Um, but it was good. I, I did some management. It's called the Management Excellence Program. So I've increased my excellence in the area of management. Perhaps you can get an, an award for that, uh, but it might first be given to an inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> That's for the Simpsons phones. At, the Outstanding Simpsons achievement in the field, in the field of excellence. Of, exactly. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing your award for that. And um, this reminds me of when my dentist, my previous dentist, uh, his um, practice started doing, uh, they came back all excited about a revenue, revenue enhancement workshop they'd gone to and then started telling me I should be coming every four months instead of every sixth. And that is when <laughs> I was like, that's very good for you guys, but I'm switching dentists. And uh, that's what Did I that did. really happen or is that like a joke? No, 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 that's true. I went there like, they're like, we're this is great. We went to this workshop that tells you how to practice enhancement and revenue. And anyway, you should come every four months. Like, Ugh. no, there's no, there's no oh guidelines for that. I'm doing fine. I have no, t- you know. That's uh, the dumbest thing. Basically, this is what Apple's doing. Ah, <laughs> there's my transition. Now, Apple is switching from a model of, uh, you know, of, of uh, punctuated uh, purchases uh, to uh, revenue enhancement, uh, like dental, dental practices. They want you to keep coming back again and again and again to buy services like music and subscriptions, things like that. Well, the the hardware is just lasting so much longer. Like a three-year-old computer used to feel really slow, and now I feel like a three-year-old computer has still got a lot of life left in it. Maybe it's just the advancements and like, well, you know, the, the hardware has gotten to the point where it's, it's a lot better than it needs to be to do most of the things that we do. So yeah, they need to, they need to get you when you're buying the stuff, but then they need to come and get you in between too, like Amazon does. No, I think you're right. This is a conversation. Uh, Mr. John Moulton, I had talked about this a little bit last week in light of Apple's uh, earnings report the week before is, um, Everything's matured. You know, there's a point. I wrote that TikTok article people can find mm-hmm. on uh, macworld.com about, you know, Apple maybe delaying the talk. You know, the tick is like a giant new product introduction, and the talk is the significant change inside that actually makes the thing like really generationally. So they often change like the tick is often like a frame, it's like a, literally a different case or a different shape or form factor, but they haven't mastered how to put performance in or advanced features. And that's kind of the next step. And I feel like, you know, Apple's always been about uh, gradual improvement with punctuated periods of big t- ticks, right? But the talks are the ones that are often more important, the iPhone 6S versus the iPhone 6 uh, and so forth. And uh, I think they are already delaying talks and trying to do it. I think the iPhone SE is kind of a TikTok thing, but it's also them saying, well, the 5S was actually pretty good for three years. Now we're introducing a new model and maybe... The signal by doing it out of cycle is that we won't introduce another one for another two years, or maybe there'll be very minor improvements for the next year, um, but it won't be like a major cycle thing. And I think you're absolutely right. I think when you have uh, computers, I mean, especially the iPad, we keep talking about the iPad. People are using six-year-old iPads and are happy with them. I think you're more happy with a four-year-old iPad because there was a big performance bump in the first couple of years. But I still have, uh, I have an iPhone 
uh, or an iPad, um, what was numbered like four? I don't know. I think it was four. Yeah. The fourth generation. And it's got it's the first retina one. Um, That's I mean, a good sec- one. And it's I mean, the second one. It's terrific. It is absolutely unmarred. It's in perfect condition. It's fast enough for everything I want to do. It runs iOS 9 fine. I have zero reason to upgrade that. I am tempted by the iPad Pro, though, the 9.7-inch one. And I that think, one's even better. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. It's got it is a giant talk, right? Like I felt, you know, we've we talked about this, so I don't want to bore listeners, but I felt like the iPad Pro is the first big talk. Like Retina was a big move, improving processors, there's a lot of stuff, but the iPad Pro is the first fundamentally different thing about the iPad since it was introduced, besides, you know, Retina. The rest has been has been weight. They didn't necessarily improve the digi- digitizer or do anything with the iPad that was as significant as what the iPad, uh, the iPhone revolution went through, right? I mean, all the improvements have been gradual. Yes, better cameras and blah, blah, blah. But the iPad Pro is really like, ah, this is a new kind of thing. And um, again, with the sales and the iPad uh, slowing of its growth uh, or negative growth and so forth, I think we'll see um, next quarter. We'll be really curious how having uh, one or two quarters of both the iPad Pro models on sale, whether that affects people's upgrade cycle finally. Yeah, last quarter had the big one, but not the little one. And I think the little one is going to be where it really picks up. And I mean, the big one was a little constrained for a little bit at the beginning there. So Especially the pencil. I think the pencil yeah. constraint actually probably restricted people. Like I would not have bought, uh, I was looking at the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. I decided I didn't need it, but I would not have bought it if I couldn't have gotten a pencil. And so I might have mm-hmm. had to wait until December or January to be sure to get them at the same time. And now the pencil doesn't seem to be constrained at all. Um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it's, it's tricky when you're a mature company and that's, we were talking about in light of earnings when you're uh, mature, then you go to a different cycle, which is getting people to pay you monthly for things for iCloud storage, for, um, iTunes match is yearly. Apple music is monthly. Uh, there'll be other services that I'm sure they're going to introduce that we'll be excited about. Right. (laughs) Yep. But with services come complaints about those services. With terrible services comes terrible responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's a totally different business. It's it really is. hard. It is. And I agree. We talked two weeks ago about Ben Thompson's essay, and I think it's a continuous conversation. If you listen to other Apple-adjacent podcasts, you will hear services. It's like uh, I'm hearing Steve Ballmer in my head going, services, services, services. <laughs> and, and I feel, interestingly, I think Microsoft does services very well. Azure gets really great reviews. I think Google, it's their whole... Uh, existence is founded on services and now they, they do other stuff, but services is how they came into being as a more business or moved from being just a search engine into a more business oriented entity. Amazon, I'm an Amazon web services user. Um, S3, its storage system has revolutionized. I use that word not even lightly. It has revolutionized how uh, companies of any scale, individuals in a scale have access to effectively unlimited storage, a very commodity price. Like it changed everything I did in all my little side businesses and things. S3 changed that. And, um, you know, there's other things like commodity server uh, pricing, which Amazon and other companies offer. But anyway, Apple seems to be the, uh, you know, Facebook, Facebook does services great. Facebook is a service. That's all it is. Uh, and they do it great. So you look at Apple's competitors for different pieces of markets and you're and you know, Samsung may be the only one where I'm like, I guess they run services, but I don't really know what they do. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to diss them, but I'm like, it doesn't seem to be a key aspect of their uh, company's public facing persona that they offer services, but every other company that Apple has some kind of competitive 
uh, interaction with for, especially for subscription dollars for things like upcoming video bundles and things like that, that it will eventually offer has to to be in this market. Um, well, that's Apple. Uh, so, you know, we've got, this is kind of a quiet news week. Susie and I were talking before the podcast that, you know, this is a, there are these periods of doldrums when there's no major news. The FBI is quieted down. Um, Department of Justice is making that much information. Oh, actually, there's one story I want to bring up in that area, which is that the FTC and the FCC have launched a uh, sent out letters. I don't think it's formally an investigation yet. I have to check on that uh, to um, smartphone makers about uh, 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 smartphone updates for security. And um, this is an interesting thing because. Uh, do you know how, I mean, so Apple has a reputation for supporting older phones and iPads and things for a longer period of time with, especially with security updates, right? And, uh, uh, but, you know, as we know, Android, uh, without dissing Android or going into fragmentation talk, because Android phones are typically sold um, through um, uh, the handset makers, so you have Google making the operating system, although it's part of a consortium, blah, 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 right? You have handset makers integrated into their hardware. You have carriers who sell the phones. Uh, with Apple, Apple controls the phone to the end user standpoint. Nobody else has any input into what goes in that. There's like a carrier settings file, I think is the closest thing, right? Uh, and some settings like, you know, in the old days, hotspot access was on or off, depending on the carrier. That was part of the carrier settings. Uh, with Android, you could literally buy a phone today that is out of date, from a major uh, that does not have the latest security updates. You can buy, you know, a new, a quasi new phone from a cellular carrier that is not up to date, or you could buy a phone today that's totally up to date. And tomorrow a security update comes out and your phone is either never going to get it or it's six months before it goes. Right. So Google has its own uh, flagship lines of Android phones, which it can control the upgrade process for, but most uh, Android devices sold don't have that. So, this story came out yesterday. You can find uh, our own Martin Williams at IDG News Service. Wrote up this up at, uh, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for it. And uh, it's, the story is that, um, and this is partly result of uh, Chris Segoyan, who's at the ACLU the last few years. Uh, he has been fighting a battle, and I've talked to him many times about this, about trying to make this a consumer issue, that it's actually anti-consumer. It might be a violation of certain uh, regulations in the U S to not provide security updates in a timely fashion. And, uh, it took a while because he's been talking about this. I mean, literally for years, uh, and, uh, looks like Apple or sorry, the FTC and the FCC, uh, want to, uh, get more information. They're doing an inquiry, um, sent letters to the AT AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, and U S cellular. Also Apple, BlackBerry, Google, HTC, LG, Microsoft, Motorola, and Samsung, they have 45 days to respond, uh, so it hasn't moved up a level, but it's kind of an issue about like things like stage fright, which is a vulnerability that affected um, hundreds of millions of Android phones, and it's unclear uh, how many of those are patched or how many remain vulnerable. So um, interesting story. And so I don't know how Apple will get swept into that because Apple supports uh, phones back a few generations, but it's possible there may be a requirement that comes out that phones that are you know up to X years old even if the operating system is obsolete, that carriers or um, manufacturers will have a responsibility to provide security updates for significant well, excuse me, significant ones that get uh, posted by, say, U.S. CERT or another security agency. Anyway, interesting problem, huh? 
Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, if it's just an inquiry, they probably just want to know, you know, like what Apple's policies are and stuff. But um, so, yeah, so would that mean that Google would have to, I don't know if they already do, a, when, a, when a vulnerability like that is discovered, if they have to, like, obviously they would patch the most recent um, versions of Android, but then do they still have to go back and, and get all the old ones? Because... I mean, yeah, you, especially once you get out of phones and you get into stuff like tablets, like you can buy a cheap Android tablet with like jelly bean on it, you know, like they, they don't, they don't really come with the modern version of Android. So does Google have to get stuck, you know, issuing security updates for like every version of Android that's, that's out there as long as the device is running it or of a certain vendor? It's, it's a great question because uh, the, the update for um, uh, Stage Fright went out to, for Google's phones, and the Nexus 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, and the Nexus Player. Uh, so that's a lot of phones. I don't know all the versions they run, but that's back a few releases. Some, I mean, this is the, the problem and the joy of Android is that it's under less tight control. So Google can't enforce any policies. And then there's a lot of Android clones that are forks that are not certified Android. They don't meet any of Google's branding rules or they can't use the Android label, but they're effectively taking the open source code and running that way. In fact, a larger percentage, a larger and larger number of devices, although I think it's more typically tablets and smartphones uh, in developing countries are running something that is Android-like. Uh, it may be an exact duplicate without any Google services, or it may be a fork with more specific alterations. And those are totally outside the control of Google's upgrade process, but those are also typically not found in as large numbers in developed countries, especially uh, America. But yeah, I mean, you can still buy Android uh, devices. You, you can still buy new hardware, but typically not phones that's running Android 2 and 3 and 4. Mm -hmm. um, you know, latest version 6 and 5 was not a bad release. 5 was a good release and 5 is still being updated. But the companies that sell these don't have any, you know, obligation of support. The same thing is true with set-top boxes and routers and the rest of it, the Internet of Things. Like once it's sold, there is no regulatory infrastructure or even industry infrastructure that says you have to support this for X days. Like there's warranties uh, and there may be – the company may say we are guaranteeing a year of software updates. But beyond that, uh, we're relying on the, on the goodness of the market, of the invisible hand of the market to punish companies that don't, <laughs> that don't provide upgrades. Um, it's going to become more and more of a problem like the with every passing year because yeah like so many things that you buy now are little computers you know so it's not just like oh I can buy this toaster and bring it home and you know make toast with it until the heating element craps out it's like now like this you know thing is connected so even after I buy it the company has to you know keep their servers going they have to like watch out for security problems and send out new firmware if you know needed and so you're sort of making a bet as to this, you know, the future of this thing, like the people who bought that smart things um, connected home hub ran into problems when, you know, Google bought it and said, OK, we haven't sold this in a couple of years and we're going to end its life. And it's not just like we're going to stop supporting it. It's like this is a software. Yeah. This is a software like connected thing that that has to be connected to the cloud all the time. And they're going to turn off the cloud and like brick all these devices. So, I mean, they ran into some backlash for that and they're going to try to make it up to people some other way. But um, <laughs> I hope so. it seems... probably just with a stack of money. But um, but anyway, like that's that's just the issue. So, I mean, Jason Snell's written about this before. You have to, uh, you know, the compatibility issue too. you have to think about like, OK, what, what do I already have? If, is this going to fit in? Um, what, what's it going to be like going forward? Is it going to be supported? 
And it's just so much harder to buy like things that used to be these dumb things. Yeah. And like, yeah, what, what software is it running? Is it ever going to be updated? Like what is this company's, you know, policy and reputation on backing up their products after you buy them? It's just, it's, it's going to keep getting worse. I have a picture of dystopias, you know, imagine you don't get toaster ovens that print special patterns. So imagine a toaster that would, or not toaster, but a a toaster oven, but a toaster. You get one that can actually print custom patterns. It's mommy, mommy, the toaster's making obscene pictures on the toast. Oh man. Yeah. You could have, you could have like a connected toaster where you put in like a, like a message in the morning and then you put your kid's bread in there and it toasts a QR code onto the outside of a sandwich. There we go. And when he gets to school, he pulls out his like phone or watch or whatever the kids have and points it at the sandwich. And then the sandwich says like, you know, I love you, Schmoopy, love mommy. We are and it truly embarrasses in the... them a little bit less because it's, you know, the other kids can't see that. <laughs> this is steganography for the modern age. You get, someone out there can run with that. I'm never going to actually bring this, this to market. Let's say you absolve all intellectual property rights and yeah, boom. Go ahead. Boom. I was thinking I could read my morning newspaper on the toast, but that it might not be a high, as high resolution. Um, you know, they can microprint stuff these days, but maybe I need a microscope to read it. Uh, a friend of mine has a toaster that puts the Green Bay Packer logo on the sandwich. He had to oh. buy it as part of a bet um, that he lost. He's, a, he's <laughs> an a Eagles fan. fan. <laughs> no, he's an Eagles fan. Every year oh. he and my friend bet about, yeah. So anyway, he's going to give it to me because I am. I'll have to get one of those for Lex Friedman. I'm going to make him, I'm going to get a bet with Lex Friedman. He's got. He has a uh, uh, Lex or Schmeagles account or something because he tweets so much about the Eagles. He's uh, created a separate Twitter account. Uh, all right. So smartphone updates. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot more. We'll talk about that in the future. I'm. I'm just. I'm fascinated after all these years because Apple has a specific problem here. Is it stops signing updates for previous iOS releases? Right. It puts out iOS nine, and then at a certain point, iOS eight cannot be installed. Uh, unless you have some jailbroken whatever. Uh, so for Apple, they simply stop supporting old versions of the iOS. Now for OS 10, I think Apple, didn't they just release one for like Mountain Lion? They released some security fix that went back uh, many years for the release uh, because it was a serious enough problem that I guess they decided enough people were running that older version of OS 10. But iOS, to my knowledge, they have no way to push a security update to older are people running older versions of iOS than the current signed version? So this may become an issue for Apple as well. Well, um, I'll just make a different... It's software. You can do anything. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, speaking, of, speaking of Apple doing things to people's devices, um, we're a little late to the story because of our, our cycle. We record on Tuesdays typically, and you're hearing this on a Wednesday or later. Uh, but so just after last week, uh, this uh, blog post got started getting uh, shared around quite extensively. A uh, fella who said that his um, that uh, Apple had stolen his music. The title was Apple Stole My Music, No Seriously. And in the middle of it is an a image of a middle finger. Um, and, you know, there's a few different things. First, I want to... Oh, so you may have heard about this on other podcasts. If there are, I'm sure you listen to other podcasts, dear listener. Uh, and we've written articles uh, about it at macworld.com. You can read articles elsewhere trying to analyze it. But the fella who wrote this post, uh, James Pinkstone, has not um, said he uninstalled Apple stuff and he wasn't interested in answering uh, questions or testing things out and didn't have additional details when he was asked by other reporters about it. So we kind of have his blog post as uh, you know his statement of what occurred and I just want to state at the outset, like, I don't need, Apple doesn't need my defense. They got $200 billion of cash in the bank. They don't need me to 
<laughs> talking talking them up. But I'm more concerned about how a post like this freaks people out about the stuff they own. And so if it's true, I want to help people who have a similar setup. And if it's not, I want to reassure people or tell them, oh, this is actually a terrible user interface problem. And here's how you can avoid what happened to James. So, um, you know, the, the, the quick version of the story uh, is that he um, installed, he believes, or the way he represents it is he installed Apple Music and then discovered uh, many gigabytes, 100 gigabytes plus of music that he had uh, ripped or recorded or um, 122 gigabytes of files, um, a collection of MP3s and WAV files and so forth that that were deleted from his machine and then um, uh, it came up all the time for him, he says, and uh, you know he luckily had a backup. Thank goodness he had a backup. Um, and he was concerned about this whole situation, right? So a lot of sympathy for, the, for someone that happens to, but this, for the starters – uh, this isn't what Apple Music does. This is what iTunes Match does, and only in specific cases. And um, our iTunes answer guy, I don't think he wrote that label, but uh, Kirk McElhern, who's the iTunes guy uh, at Macworld.com, he uh, wrote up kind of a little analysis of what he thought might have happened here. And um, it's worth reading that. Um, Susie, do you have iTunes Match? I've been I've subscribed from the no. beginning for that. No, I am an iTunes hater and I don't like it. It does it, it makes everything slower on my Mac and I hate the interface. They keep changing it. Um so I avoid it whenever I can. So I never got into iTunes match. Interesting. Um once I got into streaming, I just stopped um I just stopped, you know, really curating my collection that much. Like I I have a huge collection. Like I used to trade live shows. So I'm not like, you know, I don't care about music. I only have like a few purchased albums and they follow me everywhere and it's no big deal. Like I have a massive collection. I just don't feel the need to like have it with me all the time. Like it's sort of like, it's like, you know, when you have records, you know, you have a big record collection, you love your record collection, but you listen to it at home. So, mm-hmm. so I listen to my big music collection like when I have it available, but I've never and I don't, you know, Apple with their clouds like it's just it never really works the way I'm expecting it to. Um, so and I don't want to fight with it. Like it, I feel like when Apple's clouds don't work, it's really ha- hard to find help. And I mean, I'm saying that as like a person who's paid to like provide people that help. It's still like. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 you know, how like the contractor doesn't want to come home and like work on his own deck. Like, I just don't want to have to. It's a lot of work to keep the metadata like all cleaned up and nice and try to figure out like why I have two copies of this and and why this, you know, album isn't on my iPhone. And so I just don't want to do it. Like, so I've when iTunes, when Apple announced Apple Music, everyone was all happy about having like their their, you know, careful curated collection and this whole streaming catalog like together in one app. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a recipe for disaster (laughs) because, you know, Spotify has its own problems. Like sometimes I'll put a song in a playlist and then they'll replace that album on Spotify with like the deluxe version of that album. And then I have to find that and re-add those songs to the playlist. So it's not like all those chores have gone away, but if Spotify like is totally messed up, it's not really my problem. You know, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like, I'll find something to listen to and then I'll just listen to something else. So it's it's really freed me from a lot of, you know, um, anxiety and uh, headaches with uh, with curating my music collection. So I haven't used iTunes Match. I've heard that, you know, some people love it 
And some people are like, it doesn't really work for me. I guess iTunes has, um, so, you know, iTunes interface is tricky, but you know, when you look at the the list view of your songs or your albums, um, I think there's a there's a column that you can get that'll tell you like where it is, if it's yeah, matched, yeah. if it's local on this machine. So I think turning, I've heard from people that use it, that turning that on is a real key to understanding like which of your tracks is where. Because you could think it's all in the cloud. There could be some that, you know, it, it was not able to match into the cloud and then you want to try those again. But but it would be really nerve wracking to not know like what I could delete and what I couldn't delete. And I think that's where this guy ran into the trouble. And then, yeah, he didn't, you know, he just, when, when people were trying to help him with it and try to figure out, you know, what really happened so we could tell everyone else. Yeah. He didn't really step up and, and want to like get that done, which was kind of frustrating. Yeah. Well, and I understand that he already devoted enough time to it and was frustrated. And this was like a cry of frustration. Um, but once it gets spread around, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not irresponsible because he's not a journalist Right, you know, he's a designer or something. He's not a journalist yeah, writing people. Yeah, he was surprised that it went it went so big. Yeah, he's been kind of flogging it on his Twitter account though. Like, so if your goal is to get a message out to warn people, that's great. But if it's inaccurate, so you're warning people but not about the right thing, then you don't want to talk about it more. But you're still promoting the posts, like you're out there telling people go read this thing, go read this thing. It's a problem, but you don't want to help with the accuracy. Then you're in a weird situation. Again, it's not really his responsibility. He's not. Uh, behaving unethically, he's not a journalist, and he's not. You know, this is he just what it is. He was surprised it blew up so big, but yeah, once it blows up so big, you almost do have like a, not a responsibility, but it no, would just be just, really nice. <laughs> well, you stop posting, or you or you post the thing at the Some top kind of the post of that says, up, "Yeah, that there's you know, you put something at the top of the post that says I've had much more response. It's taking way too much of my time." Uh, some people have written various things or solutions. If you're having this problem or you're worried about it, go read these five articles and leave me alone, yeah. right? But but instead, he's kind of out there promoting this problem because he's still angry that he had to deal with it. And again, thank goodness he had backups, folks. Back, he's he had let it go by now, right? I, I don't know. I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but he was still at it for a while afterwards. Um, and there's also that thing of when you go viral, there's something exciting about it. Even when it blows up, you're like, oh, how do I – ride this wave to do something productive with myself too. And so there's, yeah. there's that we can't predict, we can't get into someone's mind and know the motivations they have, but I'm going to take, I mean, I take the post a hundred percent at face value for someone who is clearly somewhat technical, but is not an Apple iTunes expert as no one should have to be. And, you know, if you read Kirk's column, the thing is there's Apple music, there's iCloud music library, and there's iTunes match. And these have, you know, and he's like, and Kirk is the best person in the world almost literally at explaining this. And I've read his column several times and I'm still like, wait, so if I, uh, yeah, so it I have should iTunes. all be the same thing. It's yeah. like how episode one had Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi when they should have just been one character called <laughs> exactly. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like exactly. there should be one thing called Apple Music and it has iCloud Music Library in it. There's no like turning iCloud Music Library on and off. Like that's well, absurd. Like it needs when, to be on, turn it on all the time. And then iTunes match, yeah, like people remember were Jim like, Dalrymple, oh, I wish. Remember Jim Dalrymple's problem with iCloud when it first launched, the iCloud Music mm -hmm. Library destroying, and him having, you know, they brought him to Apple to chat about it, and eventually I think they got that beaten out. But yeah, it's like, yeah. so this is, I, you know, I don't blame the Matt user. iTunes should just be part of it too. Like it shouldn't yeah. be like, okay, you're going to pay us 10 bucks a month and 25 bucks a year. Like it should all be one service. Like people were saying like, oh, if Apple could fix it by just making iTunes Match like, you know, a free thing. And if, if you're, you know, if it's not, so it's not replacing 
Because like, yeah, like the his complaints about it replacing live tracks with with studio tracks, like I had that happen to me in my like fish collection. And it was they didn't it didn't delete Wait, anything the, off my the, computer, but it synced the wrong stuff to my phone. So that was because iCloud I wasn't music using, library, right? I, yeah, because I wasn't iTunes. using iTunes match. <laughs> 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 yeah. So this is the thing. So the, I this is why I'm completely sympathetic to James, even though I want to know exactly what happened, because I want to know how we can tell people to stop it. So so Kirk documents this. This is the worst of all the bad UI in uh, iOS and OS 10, of which there is a reasonable amount. There's a lot of good UI. I mean, right now I'm using, among other things, as we record, I'm using QuickTime Player, which has a pop-up menu still in 2016. In OS 10.11, uh, you know, uh, El Capitan, it has multiple different things in a single pop-up menu. High, maximum, which don't mean anything. And like mic source is like, you know, so I'm using that right now. It, we know there's terrible UI in places in, in the OSs. This o UI that says, I'm going to read this, dear listener. You can go see the screen capture. This song has been downloaded to this iPod Touch. Do you want to delete it from My Music or remove the download from this iPod Touch? And the buttons are delete from My Music, remove download, cancel. We could have like a quiz show and call up 100 people who've been using uh, iTunes and a Mac and iOS for 10 years, uh, you know, since or, or nine years, and say, what is the right option if you want to keep a file that's your own recorded file, like your fish tracks, right? And I bet you we would get uh, Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon but, lets you upload some. I think Google lets you upload wait, some to your cloud library. You like know the just, answer to this, and I'm going to ask you right now, stuff. which button do you press? Delete from my music, remove, download, or cancel? Which one keeps your track on your computer? Well, I already know the answer. But what is it? If I was just, yeah, like I would probably. But no, what will you say? No, what is your answer? I want to, to tell it's me what. It's delete it... from my music, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. See, it's, it's not? removed. I no, it it's was... no, it's removed download. If you click delete from my music, it deletes it everywhere in iCloud music library. If you click. No, no, wait, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're right. If you click remove download, you are correct. This if is still how confused I am. click remove from my music, it takes it out of your library, but it doesn't do anything right. to the but track. It but it deletes it from iCloud Music Library, which means it deletes it from every other computer on which it's linked, unless you have iTunes Match as well. If you click remove download, it deletes your local copy of the file, and the next time you want to play it on that computer or iOS device, it uh, it pulls it from uh, from iCloud to play from your, your collection there, either iCloud Music Library or iTunes match. But yeah, so delete from my music is I'm going to delete this on every other computer. Remove download is I'm deleting the local file here, even if it's not a download, even if it's a file yeah. that I put in place. It should say like delete file. Right. Or delete. I mean, it's confusing in iOS because you don't, you're always it uploading something. It used to say like but... move to trash or it used to be like a lot more clear if you were yeah. saying like, cause you could, so back when iTunes was, you know, your music was all local. There were there were still two options when you deleted right, something. Right. You could delete it from your iTunes library, which just took it out of, you know, like the the actual list of songs, but didn't do anything to the file. Or you could actually remove it from the library and delete the file. So they tried to sort of keep that that idea around when they went cloud, but you know, that's just confusing when you go cloud because like there's sort of a third step. It's like, are am I deleting this from the cloud? Am I just taking it out of the library but not touching the file or am I deleting the file from my computer and them calling that a download? Yeah, it's just dumb. Well, listen, this is the number one uh, asked question on Mac 911. And uh, and by the way, I'm preparing a, a fact that's going to be like our super fact of all the top questions because 
These represent probably 90% of the email to Mac 911. Nice. Is one, yeah, I was thinking about, we need to do that for photos. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. And so the number, this is it's iCloud Photo Library. Is I really like iCloud Photo Library now because I've kind of figured out how to use it. I have one Mac that's my master full resolution download copy. I have one Mac that's set to optimize, and all of my iOS devices are set to optimize. So I have a master copy that's also backed up, not just at iCloud Photo Library, but through um, through uh, online backups. Uh, yeah, so your I whole backup scheme, yeah. Yeah, so I've got multiple right, So I got multiple layers here, so I'm cool. So if Apple fails and all my photos are deleted out of iCloud Photo Library, I have a local copy on a, on a computer, and I have, I think I've got a clone, and I have online archives with another company. So, um, so I like it. A lot of people, it still drives them nuts because uh, they are having that issue with optimization of photos. And so I, I bring this up because it's got a similar option. You delete a photo in iOS, and people are saying, when I delete this, it deletes it everywhere. I'm like, yes, that's the nature of it, even though I understand why that would irritate you. You can't selectively delete photos because you're syncing them everywhere, but you can optimize. And then they say, but I want to have full resolution photos. I'm like, yes, you can, and I don't want to have store. I'm like, yes, but if you do that. So <laughs> there's this whole this dance of the amount of storage that's available because some people have multi-hundred gigabyte photo libraries. Uh, so the amount of storage versus where it appears versus optimization and Apple handles the optimization automatically with iTunes. You can actually delete the music manually. If you've got a hundred gigs of music and you have it all via iTunes match or iCloud music library or whatever, or sorry, iTunes verify match. that it's matched correctly exactly. and they're in, the, right. they're in the cloud and you've like made ah, sure. Right. And so even then, so some people talked about like when iTunes match came out, a number of people, including myself, had previously ripped our, I have like a box of CDs that I purchased and I've retained in case the RIAA comes and knocks down my door and demands to see my ownership. Oh yeah, I've got crates and crates. Yeah, so I, we yeah, got I even have the jewel boxes still. I never yeah, I do, me all. too. That's uh, so funny. Yeah, we're so, uh, you've, I have like one box. I'm not big of a music fan. You've got box box. So, so I ripped those at like 128 kilobit per second, like the best MP3 I could at the time. And I didn't want to re-rip them. So iTunes Match came out and it's 256 kilobit oh, yeah. AAC. So after I got everything synced and checked songs and looked at some of my unique stuff, I deleted all the stuff that I knew that I had ripped, got rid of it all, and then re-downloaded it all. So I have high-resolution nice, DRM-free tracks. high-res copies with exactly. good artwork. And yeah, right. it's nice. So that, it, when it all works, it's amazing. Yeah, it's but, just when it doesn't work. But you almost have to tag everything that you ripped at low-resolution versus things like high-resolution wave files or unique re live recordings. Um, I think you can issues. see that in a column in iTunes, too, like what, what rate it is. Well, you can't, yeah, you can see like I was able to, oh, that was yep. it. I was able to do there a smart is. folder against the specific settings I'd used to rip the CDs, which was like 128K MP3, whatever. I did a smart folder for that and then just deleted that subset and left all my others there. Uh, all right. Well, let's, perhaps we shall move on because this is what oh, oh, two other things. So uh, iTunes Connect. Um, Rumors will be uh, removed in iOS 10. Uh, <laughs> people apparently don't use iTunes Connect very much. Um, it's yeah, a little, it's uh, as good as Ping. Well, it's, it's better than Ping. Let's just put it that way. Anything's better than Ping. Oh, uh, poor Ping. Um, yeah, I'd Connect, I didn't understand what they're trying to do with it. And it seemed like a marketing tool, and I just, it doesn't seem to be used. It's a way well, to Well, it was artists. a marketing tool because it was only artists to fans. Like, there wasn't really, I mean, you could comment, but it wasn't like fans could have their own feeds and share things. And, you know, on other 
I really like this, the social aspects of a good streaming service um, like RDO and Spotify and stuff like they let you make playlists and share them with people and subscribe to each other's playlists and collaborate on things. And the social is much more of a group thing. And um, artists and curators can push stuff out to fans, but it's not that's not really what people go to these places for. Like it seemed like Apple with um, Connect was trying to replace you know, Tumblr and Twitter and MySpace and all the, you know, SoundCloud and Bandcamp and all the the tools that artists already have and have been using. So, I mean, I, I, I know I'm friends with some, you know, touring musicians who do this as their job, but they're not, you know, huge famous names that you guys would hear of. So their social presence is really important to them. Like that can really move the needle. And so I talked to a few of them when, when Connect launched being like, oh yeah, we can, maybe you guys can get really in Connect. I can write about it. We can do like a feature together. And they kind of tinkered with it and we're like, yeah, this is not really worth our time. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, I, you know, it probably didn't really catch on outside of the, you know, small group that Apple kind of pushed into it. So I'm, I don't know. I, I won't be sad to see it go. I haven't been using it. We wrote a how-to on turning it off right away. And when you do that, you get a playlist tab, and that's super handy. So you can get rid of it before iOS 10 if you want. That's right. That's right. Well, I've been ignoring it all along, so I won't notice when it's gone. Um, but uh, one more uh, little tidbit about Apple Music. There's a 50% discount for students if you want to. Uh, um, I have the wrong link in our show notes, so I'll, we'll find it and put the right one in. Oh, no, that's right. It is. Uh, it's uh, we've we've categorized this in clouds. I'm sorry, the, the uh, clouds and services part of a uh, part of Macworld. That's why I was confused. Uh, but it's uh, going to be available um, on uh, Friday, uh, this Friday, and uh, you'll need to be a verified student, and you have to work with Unidays, a student deals website, um, and you can get the subscription for up to four years after the initial sign up. So um, very interesting. Five bucks instead of ten seems like a good deal. Spotify has that too. Good. They should. They should. Students, should, I mean, you, want to, you want to addict people. New York Times used to have these super cheap, uh, maybe they still do, uh, student discounts when I was uh, young and newspapers were I had a New York thing. Times delivered to my dorm room. Yeah, it was awesome. We got it every yeah. day and it was like, I forget, it was super cheap. Oh man, like, they would stack up like nobody's business though. Yeah. You don't read I, it for a couple of days and then you're, just, you're drowning in paper. We've got, I've gotten rid of almost every paper subscription except for our local paper. We need to stay informed. We wouldn't read it enough online even though it's got to actually, they revamped their online site. So we get the Seattle Times. We pay... Not a ridiculous amount. We read it every, and I've got a New York Times digital subscription. Everything else online. Sorry, paper. Sorry, trees. Yeah, Wait, okay. or no way. I should trees should be thanking me. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, the trees are cool with it. The trees. Um, a few other little tidbits we'll uh, round up here at the end. Uh, the Opera, which is a um, browser company, or sort of was a browser company. Um, <laughs> it's a little, a little confusing. They, uh, they, they make a browser. They make a browser, although they're like the, I think they're the distant number five in the browser world. And I always kind of liked their browser actually, whenever I'd test it for something like this is pretty good. It doesn't have any specific advantages, but, uh, they, um, added a built-in free virtual private network into, uh, their PC and Mac browsers and um now they're going they to offer built-in ad blocking too which was like yes. kind of new like all the browsers support ad blocking but it's always like a plug-in that you have to do later so opera was like we're gonna double down and just bake it right in there yeah so now they're offering a an ios uh, beta or ios uh, a vpn client uh that is free and uh unlimited and uh it's partly they say to try to let people bypass um uh like uh uh 
issues that it has that, ad blocking and trackers like built in it, tracker blocking built into the VPN. Yeah, although you can you can turn that on or off, but it's part of the VPN. But it's, it's to help people who have uh, you know they're saying it's kind of funny they're saying if you can't surf on your campus or workplace, like well if there's a workplace policy or a school policy, you really shouldn't be bypassing it because then you could get fired or expelled. So they're you know like I understand the freedom aspect of it. Or if my ISP, like if I'm at an airport, the airport's like, you can't look at Boing Boing, which is David Byrne famously discovered while he was in the Denver airport. And Boing Boing got a lot of uh, rise out of that. You know, maybe that's unreasonable and the airport is being restrictive for bad reasons. I'll use a VPN there. It's not my problem, right? Um, but Because they're just trying to filter because they think it's porn or, or a problem. Uh, but if you're at a school and you sign an agreement as a student or a teacher that says you won't bypass restrictions on the firewall, you could get fired or suspended or whatever. So maybe that's not the best way to track that. It, you know, but if you're in a country that's trying to block your ability to uh, gain access to information that government doesn't want you to see, perhaps that's a more noble thing. I don't know. Yeah. And if you're using public Wi-Fi, it can be smart to put a VPN on just uh Oh God. Yeah. I totally recommend that. And uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, software out there um, for iOS and some our iOS and uh, OS 10 combined subscriptions. So you subscribe to something like Tunnel Bear or Cloak. Uh, Cloak just got acquired by a larger firm, that's, and they're going to expand into uh, Windows and Android in addition to iOS and OS 10. Tunnel Bear already has clients, I think, for all those platforms. It does. Uh, so it's interesting to have to look at like what benefits you'll get. Um, I'll be working on a story about this, in fact. I've been what... using CyberGhost. CyberGhost? Is yeah. that got uh, built-in ad blocking as well? Uh... I don't know. I don't think so. I don't use it for that. All right. I'm just I, trying I don't to use, redirect I, my traffic. I use, yeah, I like a VPN when I don't know what I'm, uh, where I'm at, what I'm doing, public hotspot. So we'll talk more about that. But that's interesting. So there's more, there are increasingly number of free options and I'm going to do a little testing to see how are limited those are. Are you worried about like the, any kind of privacy implications of it being free and unlimited? Are they trying to, you know, are they keeping your search data or like, is there any, what's the catch? Well, I'd be do concerned I have to worry about, about the catch. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a totally reasonable thing when you're using a VPN, you need to be concerned about the company that is handling your traffic. And ostensibly when you sign up, they, you know, they say, we're not going to examine it. I mean, you want to read the privacy policy uh, and say, you know, here's what we're doing. We're running an open server. We don't examine. If we're subpoenaed, we may provide access to law enforcement, but other under conditions, we don't blah, blah, blah. Like you want to know what they're saying. Oh, they updated saying. the article with the comments. Oh, um, yes? When I first read this yesterday, like it, the, the fine print had said that it may collect usage data um, while you're connected, including web addresses you visit, but uh, it wasn't clear as to like w if they were collecting your, if they were actually collecting your history, or if they were just you know reserving the right in their privacy policy to do that. Right. Um, so they talked to Opera and they got this response. Um, while the Opera VPN is completely free to the user, we do use anonymous market insights derived from customer usage to help support the service. Make this information available to third parties, blah, blah, blah. So they're, yeah, they're selling your user data to marketing, but it's aggregated and um, it's, you know, they're, they're looking at what groups of people do, not like they're not putting, you know, a file on you and what you individually right. are doing, so they say. So. But they're tracking URLs and they're storing that for later information, which could reveal personal information, you know, in a variety of cases. Depends how long they keep it, how well they anonymize it. Do they clip off everything after a question mark, for instance? Um, so that any data that's sent to the site that's not part of a URL is passed. Oh, yeah. Um, there's all these things. So, yeah, I'd be, uh, you know, Opera has uh, been around for a long time. Um, they're contracting with a party. Oh, I'm sorry, not contracting. They they bought a, a Canadian VPN called um, Surfeasy. Surfeasy. And so that's operating the service. 
Um, and I, you know, I think I have a high degree of trust in uh, Opera because uh, they've been very pro end user for many years. I think they've really they took that as part of the strategy. Um, they have an interesting history, but they've, uh, but yeah, they've they've been in a uh, a good voice for for people who want more privacy. So it's odd that they're supporting it this way. That's going to be a trade off. If you want to pay for VPN, a lot of VPNs yeah. are very inexpensive. And they will guarantee, or they have a you know policy that says they're not going to do this. Uh, so that's a trade off. Yeah. Uh, and then there's some you know there's smaller efforts. Like I wouldn't use a VPN, a free VPN from a company that I didn't really know what their business was. Now Opera, you can go look. They were I don't think I don't know if they're publicly traded now. They were publicly traded. They have a multi year history. If there's a company called you know XYZ VPN and it's free, I'm not going to use it if I don't know who they are, um, because that doesn't make any sense. Then I'm giving a hundred percent of my traffic, even if it's encrypted, which a lot of Internet traffic already is encrypted to the end website. Like when you search on Google, those are all HTTPS connections now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even someone who has access to 100% of your VPN tunnel is still dealing with the encryption of what's uh, – of you know, they can't break Google's encryption to see it. However, uh, you know, you have to accept that any VPN operator is going to be able to track 100% of what you do, and you have to be comfortable that the company is not going to be involved in looking into it. Um. Speaking of looking into things on the net, see, I have all these transitions. It's like I prepared these or something. Uh, I was fascinated that Netflix uh, Netflix got outed a few months ago that they had been for at least five years throttling mobile streaming to 600 kilobits per second without apparently telling anybody, which is interesting. So they said they did it uh, except for, I believe, Sprint and T-Mobile because Sprint and T-Mobile don't charge overages. Uh, they only, uh, in most of their plans, they only uh, roll you over to a, a slower speed. Um, Netflix said this was pro-consumer, and I think when it came out, it made a little bit of a kerfuffle because they were making a decision for people, and with newer devices and you know retina devices and higher resolution ones, uh, 600 kilobits per second is probably below the quality that a device can actually display. So they just came out a few days ago with a uh, revised mobile clients for iOS and Android that exposed that setting. So it's default on to limit to, it winds up being about... Uh, one gigabyte for three hours of TV or movie streaming is 600 kilobits per second. And you can choose to leave that in place or you can drop it down slightly to their low setting, which is a little bit less. It's like four hours of video for one gigabyte. You can pop it up to higher resolution and get uh, the full mobile uh, HD, which is uh, still much less than desktop or uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, home network uh, HD. Because I think... Uh, Netflix is like three to five megabits per second for most programming it with a set top box or an Apple TV or, uh, you know, Samsung TV or your computer. And, uh, it's one and a half megabits per second is the top rate that they list in the mobile app. So just interesting little bit there. I mean, I buy that it was pro consumer because, um, you could so easily burn up data, uh, with Netflix. Yeah. Um, but it's weird that they didn't want to disclose it until they're kind of forced to. Yeah, Netflix is, uh, It's at least they're going to give you, I feel like especially with a mobile device, they have to give you lots of options. So, and, it, you know, it does that. You can say only on Wi-Fi or here's, here's you know, how much data I want to use. Yeah. Which is great. I think it's good. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is if you have T-Mobile and T-Mobile has Binge On, which is a oh, down. Yes. Yeah. So, so you, if you're a T-Mobile subscriber and you have any tier, including Unlimited, uh, they have binge on enabled by default, which downgrades the quality of streaming video 
to a lower level, but they say it's imperceptible. I have not done a taste test to figure out if it is or not. I'm not a T-Mobile customer, but I'm willing to buy that it's either barely imperceptible or not imperceptible between higher quality streams. And you can turn it off. You can turn it off. If it's on, it doesn't count towards your data out usage if you're a metered customer. If you have unlimited That's a service. big deal. Yeah. So if you're a limited service, they have it on by default, uh, which ostensibly makes you know, everything else on your phone work faster. I don't know. I mean, it's them saving data usage and you, but you can turn it off and then you get charged. So, so I don't know how Netflix's app and T-Mobile app, like if Netflix is downgrading and T-Mobile is also doing something like, does that actually introduce more ugly performance except, Oh, Netflix wasn't downgrading for T-Mobile. I don't know if they, with the new mobile app, if it's on by default for T-Mobile and Sprint still, uh, since I don't use either of those networks. So that's something to look into if you <laughs> if you don't if you don't if you use Netflix on a mobile device and you are currently happy and have always been happy with the video quality you get from Netflix, you don't have to do anything. If you're not, now you have an option to, you know, tweak. Um my wife and I have a 15 gig a month shared data plan for from AT&T and um because there's Wi-Fi everywhere, we're not traveling very much. You know, we're traveling by car, uh might go a few hours away. Uh, but we're not like in airports and hotels and the strange places all the time. But even with that, you know, we're around and about town. Um, we're, we're using less than like four gigabytes of data a month. Oh my God. We're going over our data every month. It's terrible. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, you have commutes. You both have commutes, right? Yeah. I have the, I have the old unlimited plan. So we're not sharing data. So, and my husband only has like two gigabytes and he goes oh. over that all the time. But so yeah. I was going to get him another gigabyte and it was yeah. $10 a month every month. But yeah. if he goes over, they charge him $10. So it's like, oh, I'll just pay the $10 when he goes over. Yeah. that's Because then I, if, if there's ever a weird month where like, you know, he loses his phone for a few days and doesn't go over and then woohoo, we saved $10. No, see, this is, it's, this is all going to change soon. I mean, this I whole know, thing. I got to get us on the bundle. It's like, I, I should just get rid of my unlimited plan. It's so it's, good. I mean, we're, we're paying, I can't remember the total bill because we have, uh, we're, we have like one phone and iPhone upgrade plan. Another one is coming from AT&T. So right um, but I think we're paying, we're paying the equivalent of still, I think about 160 bucks a month that includes paying two phones um well it's less than again it's tricky because we have the uh, i think we're paying i'm sorry we're paying at&t right now 130 dollars a month because we paid off one phone and another phone is through iphone upgrade so i know that our total bill from at&t is 130 for 15 gigabytes two phone lines and uh the one month rollover so we typically have like that's pretty good that's yeah. a lot cheaper than i'm paying it still seems expensive with some of the new plans I got that are coming out expensive cable and now my phone bill is like uh, the, the big one there's all this competition coming in there's some now uh is it not, what's that called burst uh, i was just reading about you know there's a lot of wi-fi only carriers there's some wi-fi carriers that do uh like project five from google is only with you know a specific phone and whatever right. but it has this uh you know data usage thing where you're only paying for data use and you can buy bundles. Um, there, I think we're going to see another big drop in cell pricing. Cause it's now it's sort of ridiculous, like 130 for two phones. That's a lot of profit. I mean, not even cooling the phones. That's just service. That's for unlimited yeah. voice texting and 15 gigs of data. That is probably 30 to $40 a month more than we should be paying. Uh, if we really, you know, work the system and change carriers and, and did whatever we have, we, I would love to save that money, but the disruption is so high. We're not going to do it yet, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. That's this keep feeling like cellular is on the verge, but there's the limited spectrum means that, you know, you only have so many people, um, on that limited spectrum, but the license spectrum means that you have a few players who control 
all of the uh, all the data data flow. And uh, if they resell it to others, they charge a pretty penny. So there we go. Uh, let's see. So um, I think that's it for this week. Then have we covered all of the uh, all the news? Yeah, there is I think fit? so. Um, and folks, if you have a uh, iOS 10 is uh, ostensibly going to be announced oh, yeah. in just about a month. We were talking about the iTunes disconnect earlier coming disconnect iTunes connect coming out of iOS. And there are some rumors starting to fly about what's going to be in there. And um, uh, we'd love to know what you guys are thinking about uh, uh, you folks thinking about you're missing because iOS is now pretty mature. Like what is not available in iOS? The big 10. Yeah. iOS 10, which we assume this may be where Mac OS gets rebranded from Mac OS X or OS X to maybe just Mac OS. Maybe capital yeah. M, capital M Mac OS is what we think. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, so, that's that, that's one of the bigger, like, rumors right now about WWC, which is, you know, I we, we so... In, so in, exciting. In the absence of interesting rumors about, you know, actual software features, let's make some up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let us know what you guys think should be in iOS 10, what would make you really excited about getting iOS 10 on day one if they added this or that or the other. Um, just to get the ball rolling, I'm going to reach for some low-hanging fruit that I have reached for time and time again, which is I want location-based um, settings. I want more settings to sh- um, shift based on location. I don't want to have oh, to good. enter my passcode when I'm on my home network, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, security settings, um, you know, network settings, different, different things. I want them to switch as I move from place to place because geofencing is something the iPhone's really good at. So help me out. Uh, yeah. I want some better inter-application um, sharing so that some things that could be applied system-wide, like, you know, color profiles and things like that um, oh, could be, be shared huge. among apps. And I realize Apple's been very careful. Like, you know, they've expanded it quite a bit. iCloud drive and, and iCloud or what, uh, what can be done is actually substantially expanded. And God, do I love the share extensions and um, yeah, and like deep um, links into apps into like yeah, notification center and stuff. Like it has come a long way, but I feel like really has. Th- they still need, uh, and so I, I appreciate that they've done a very um, studied, careful approach to make sure sandboxing isn't broken. What I really want to know is ten. This is a wish for developers because we love developers, especially the small developers out there who work so hard. Um, it's not the big developers don't work developers, that hard, but it's a little, little easier for big developers. Is we need upgrade pricing trial versions yeah and you know it's this would transform the ability of of developers to have sustainable living it doesn't make it automatically possible but you know there's that and we also need reform in the app store which could come with ios renaissance oh we just need a change because i feel like a lot of people especially when you hear prominent developers who've been successful uh who are independent or you know work for small companies or run small companies when you hear them over and over again say that they don't feel like it's worth the investment of time in the future and they're not sure what they're going to do besides supporting existing products. We have prominent exceptions like Omni Software, which does a lot of development on a lot of fronts and and it's they've made it work for them. You know, there's a few companies that I think have mastered it who are not giant, um, you know, they're not multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, but I think in order to keep that same spirit of entrepreneurialism out there and to support these small developers who are the lifeblood of this industry, um, the app store needs to change in iOS 10 to uh, to allow that. I don't know that they can change it retroactively. That's why I think it could be an iOS 10 feature. So if you have other ideas, folks, listeners, you can always find us at podcast at macworld.com. We do have an email address. 
You can email us there and send email us your thoughts us, about iOS 10. Us, you can tweet us. Yeah, uh, we'll do another show about uh, what we want in iOS 10. Yeah, and we uh, you can find Susie on the Twitter at SFSuz. That's S, F like Frank, S, double O, Z like Z. See, very easy. And uh, <laughs> I'm at Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F. On Twitter, uh, you can also find us, of course, at macworld.com, where you can leave comments on the podcast article, and we read those as well. So, Susie, another week has passed, and we'll be back in another. Thanks for thanks for chatting. Can't wait to talk again. Me too. This has been episode 507 of the Macworld Podcast for March 10th, 2016. I'm Glenn Fleischman, uh, your fine host, and I'll be back again with Susie next week. Thanks for listening.